every single day, each one of the services operates in all of the domains. And for the Air Force, it's trying to understand how to be uh, much more sophisticated in the approach to operations and what the Air Force can offer to the Joint Force. Join us on this episode as we discuss joint all-domain operations, why it matters to each airman, and its strategic implications. As a reminder to listeners, all topics discussed are unclassified, and views expressed by guests or hosts are not necessarily the position of the United States Air Force or the Department of Defense. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cyprane Doctrine Podcast. My name is Captain Truman Smith. And I am John Katzman. And we'll be your hosts as we interview our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Riley, about Joint All-Domain Operations, or JADO for short. I think this is a great opportunity to pull back the curtains on this new doctrine element for some of our future Air Force leaders. And now for our guest. Dr. Riley is the chairman of the Department of Joint Education at the United States Air Force's Air Command and Staff College and director of the Joint All-Domain Strategists Concentration. Dr. Riley is a retired Army officer with 26 years of active duty service. His theater-level planning and operations experience includes serving as a theater-level combined and joint operations officer, plans division chief, and member of the Secretary of Defense's two major theater war plans team. He is an adjunct faculty member for the NATO's school's operational planning course, a speaker at the United States Air Force weapons instructor course, and a member of the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff's Military Education Coordination Council Working Group. Additionally, he conducted research on the design in Afghanistan during 2010, 11, and 12, and on the future of C4 ISR in Iraq and Africa during 2016. He is the author of Operational Design, Distilling Clarity from Complexity for Decisive Action. Dr. Riley, it's great to have you. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. AFDP 3-99 is our guiding doctrine for joint all-domain operations and covers the Air Force's role in JADO. Could you share what JADO is and how it's different from standard joint operations? Uh, definitely. Um, first of all, I'd, I'd like to thank everybody for inviting me to uh, be a participant in this um, podcast. Um, JADO, at least uh, the way that we're studying it, is very different than the Army's concept of multi-domain operations. Um, in the first context, um, it is um, very different from joint. Joint is uh, defined in our joint doctrine as activities, organizations, and operations in which uh, two or more military departments participate. That is about um, collaboration and cooperation. It's about additive service capabilities. Uh, JADO is a maneuver concept, and it's characterized by three things, complexity, speed, precision, and it's executed in deliberately synchronized, um, sophisticated combinations of domains directed at destroying your adversary's interdependencies between the domains or protecting your interdependencies between the domains as you maneuver. Awesome. And uh, I know it's a uh, segment in 3-99 talks about the whole government approach. Can you provide some clarification on that? Now, the whole of government is actually a National Security Council process, and it's uh, directed at integrating uh, the 15 uh, departments that we have, the executive departments that we have um, in our government, as well as the 138 different agencies that exist. So it's an immense task. 
but it's to bring them together and very different and distinct from uh, Department of Defense uh, planning. Okay, so that's obviously like a lot of people, a lot of different uh, joint partners and domains, but uh, what's the benefit of actually bringing all these domains and joint partners together? Uh, the benefit is being able to approach um, problems from different angles and getting the expertise, especially in things, you know, as we look at it and I'm teaching my students, we see six domains. One of those domains is the human domain, composed of leaders, organizations that support the leaders and then the population. Uh, the other uh, departments and agencies that are available um, within uh, the construct of um, how we do a uh, whole of government ap uh, approach um, allows us to tap into a lot of different resources to exploit their knowledge and be able to come up with better solutions. You mentioned a minute ago the interdependencies and either attacking our adversaries' interdependencies or protecting our own. What interdependencies are you referring to? Yeah, if you think of a construct, you know, we look at um, JADO as a continuum, and a continuum simply means a whole. So as I maneuver in one domain, potentially I may be exposing um, another domain by my maneuver, uh, because it's about prioritization. A linear example would be the electromagnetic spectrum composed of cyber and electronic warfare enables space to get to air, land, and maritime to get to the human domain. That um, is a very linear ex explanation, but it's also how our adversaries view um, going against us. So if they were to, uh, to cut the interdependency between the spectrum and space, it automatically has a ripple through the entirety of the, the system, that, that continuum. And it potentially could cause a collapse of our efforts in different areas. At a macro level, it could cause the collapse of an entire campaign. You mentioned the connectivity between everybody. Um, so that's one thing that we've been noticing through reading 3-99 is there's a whole portion on intelligence in there. And one thing that I've noticed as a, being a pilot is I'm not super familiar with cyber and intelligence. So um, in regards to balancing intel sharing with security, how do you think we can change the culture in either promoting sharing? And when do you think like need to know extends to just in case where we all are kind of aware of the different types of assets that are available to us? Yeah, I think in several areas, um, definitely in cyber and also in space, we have uh, a tendency to overclassify a lot of material. And uh, by taking a realistic look at what actually is open source, literally on the internet, um, you can gain a function in terms of what everyone has uh, information that they have access to. So there's a balance there that we need to um, level the playing field so that all players have uh, the information and the intelligence access that they need to get their jobs done. And so a lot of information has to come together to coordinate these efforts. Uh, at what level will, the, will these multi-domain schemes be planned? Um, they need to be planned at the operational level, first and foremost. And, and that doesn't mean that you don't do um, operational planning at the strategic level. What we're teaching our students, um, the Join All Domain Strategists, is that um, at the strategic level, there's a concept called strategic design. So you're looking at asymmetric options around the globe 
um, so that you can um, hit those touch points and stay at the level of deterrence rather than um, going into a uh, significant area where there might be a, uh, a threat there that would um, ultimately spill into outright conflict. At the operational level, um, that be, is really the key focus. Um, that's where you conduct your operations, where you're synchronizing these domains to ensure your exposure of interdependencies is as minimal as possible while causing your adversary um, in your maneuver to open up their interdependencies and then uh, go ahead and cut that link between uh, their domains. In talking about the competition continuum, uh, how do you see JADO as a leverage for our partner nations? Like, how do you see this as more of like a coalition piece and how our coalition partners view JADO? I think it's very significant. Our, our coalition partners are definitely interested in this. Um, in the past year, I've done at least six presentations um, to NATO uh, organizations, whether uh, it's partially at SHAPE or at um, the uh, Command and Control Center of Excellence or even the NATO Rapid Deployable Corps. So they're definitely interested in it. And this summer, I just got back from briefing the NATO Rapid Deployable Corps and they want to find out what the concept is, what's new about it, and what's the difference between joint all-domain maneuver and just plain joint operations. We've also been involved with the Indian uh, Center for Land Warfare Studies. So as far away as India, they're looking at this concept, trying to define what it is, if it's of value, and how do they integrate that into their current concepts. Um, so it's, as we learn more about it, uh, we're, we're still about a year, year and a half away from joint doctrine on what joint all-domain operations is. Um, so we're moving towards it. Um, our allies and partners need to understand it so that they can be participants in it. And I'll give you an example. Um, if we were to have an F-35 flying over and they were opposed by um, an adversary, and you had a Polish Attackums missile uh, company or battery down on the ground. Now that F-35 has the capability to go ahead and cue that allied uh, weapon system onto its target or onto a target that's more beneficial at the operational level. So there's definitely a way ahead, and I think the um, Many nations that were um, involved in either alliances or coalitions are uh, definitely aware of the potential of the concept. How do we ensure that our mission and unit commanders who are going to be having to make these multi-domain decisions, whether it's with allied nations or across domains to cyber, uh, are prepared and well-trained to handle that task? Well, I think um, what we've got to do is right here at Air University, um, we've got to start at um, both uh, non-commissioned officer arena. We've got to start at that level, rather. We've got to um, look at OTS, um, what happens at the um, squadron officer uh, college, uh, what's going on at Air Command and Staff College, and e even up to Air War College. I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Um, we're still in our infancy, but we're moving towards that, and that's the group that I'm teaching. I, I keep them for 10 months, and they get a very uh, advanced education, 
looking at problems like this and concepts that are about uh, five to ten years ahead of where everyone else is. Um, I think the value, though, is uh, literally right here at Air University. All right, so what, is, what does all this mean? What does JADO mean for the big Air Force? But for the big Air Force, um, as it is with all of the services, um, every single day, each one of the services operates in all of the domains. And for the Air Force, it's trying to understand how to be uh, much more sophisticated in the approach to operations and what the Air Force can offer to the Joint Force. Um, and by doing that, it's an understanding of um, what goes on between the domains and the ability to maneuver in a way that directs it to go ahead and split off those interdependencies between the domains, either in an offensive action or defensively uh, close up the gap so that our adversaries cannot exploit our interdependencies. Every single service is going to have to reinvent itself. And that's what we're, every service is struggling with right now. Uh, so what are some ways that we can practice to incorporate JADO then? I think we can do it, n number one, obviously, through education. But number two, as we're doing out in uh, the Pacific right now, is conducting operations and um, training events, whether it's a tabletop exercise or it's a full-fledged um, maneuver the force out so that you can practice um, queuing different systems to hit different targets at different uh, times and leveraging the, the full capacity of what multi-domain operations uh, provides. If one of the domains is um, cut out, we have to practice that. So if um, space is not available, um, we've got to be able to practice that. If a certain portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is cut out, we have to have an audible uh, to drop down and be able to leverage the power of another domain to pick up um, that uh, vulnerability. So down to the lowest levels of the Air Force, what's this going to mean for the junior officers and NCOs that uh, how are they going to feel the impacts of JADO and how are they going to have to adapt? Um, they're going to have to adapt in several different ways. I mean, if you take a look at the technology that we have just in our daily lives, things like smartwatches, cell phones, there's going to be an impact in terms of what you turn on and when you turn that on. Uh, if you're touching a radio um, and anything is beaming out, your adversary is going to be able to see that, sense it, and then put steel on that target. Um, so all of us have to understand that. We have to think offensively and defensively. So what patterns um, provide um, some um, the ability to go ahead and um, do passive um, acts, which allow us to do things like cam camouflage and things of that nature, all the way up to um, thinking through very deliberately at um, getting our assets to strike uh, key adversary targets. You mentioned the uh, survivability at, at some point. So would you, I know like a big thing that we're getting in the Air Force as well as ACE, would you say that ACE is inherently part of JADO now? ACE is a JADO operation. It is uh, dependent upon the land force um, for land security. Um, outside of the, the air base. So air base ground defense, land uh, forces incorporated into that. Um, it is um, 
incorporated into um, the logistics structure that supports air operations in ACE. ACE is um, got to expand um, by being able to tap into, say, perhaps uh, naval assets, an Aegis cruiser, which again has certain weapon systems and different capabilities that can either assist uh, the mission in the air domain or uh, assist uh, through air operations, assist the mission in the land domain or um, some other um, domain that's um, in need or um, where we want to exploit our adversary. So it's maintaining that connectivity while still being maneuverable. That, that's right. Absolutely right. You mentioned adversaries, so that's a good opportunity to focus in on what they think of JADO. So could you help us understand what's China's reaction been to JADO? I don't know if we have a, I haven't seen any specific reaction to um, 399. Um, but the way they look at operations is very different than the way we do. Um, from their perspective, you know, the uh, electromagnetic spectrum is much more important than um, simply doing cyber operations. And it's not that cyber operations aren't important, but the element that I want to control, and that's what domain means, it, it means control. Um, when I'm maneuvering against the Chinese, their concept is to go ahead and break the um, interdependency between electromagnetic spectrum and space, and everything else uh, starts to collapse. Um, their concept of cyber is very different. They have the integrated um, network electronic warfare concept. Um, integrating in C4ISR at large, um, looking at um, the approach to maneuver very differently um, than ourselves. Um, Russia um, has maximized its focus, both Russia and China, want to limit our ability to access C4ISR. Uh, they know if they take that away, um, our ability to maneuver and control maneuver is gone. So where do you think that we need to focus some of our improvements uh, to compete with China and Russia in the in, in JADO? I think um, our biggest um, vulnerability is not understanding to two of the domains that we teach. And, the first, as I've already stated, is the electromagnetic spectrum. Understanding that, if you understand what um, capabilities within the spectrum that you need to preserve and what capabilities you need to take away from your adversary um, will propel us um, much further ahead in terms of um, joint all-domain operations. Um, the um, concept of maneuver for uh, our adversaries, you know, and, and looking at us, um, they've patterned us and they, they understand that. The spectrum is uh, a part, and there, there's uh, the basic parts of the spectrum are radio frequencies, and that's about, um, we have 90% of our focus and about 1% of the uh, spectrum. And then uh, we've got uh, infrared, uh, correction, microwave infrared uh, ultraviolet, uh, x-rays, and gamma. There's capabilities to send packets of ones and zeros, leverage cyber much more sophisticated, in a much more sophisticated manner than we're currently um, 
exploiting on a regular basis. We do have um, units that are either practicing that right now, but that is a focal point that we've got to get to. The other element is what I mentioned uh, earlier also, is this thing called the human domain. Understanding uh, behavioral focal points, understanding what cognition actually means, and the five basic effects that you want to uh, cause um, and create um, to achieve your objectives. And your basic objectives in the human domain are deter, compel, and suasion. Uh, suasion is used for uh, allies and collaboration. Um, but there's five basic effects, psychological, uh, physical, functional, systemic, and then temporal. And playing combinations of those against your adversary, um, using information as a tool, both direct, indirect, kinetic, and non-kinetic, is um, where we've got to go. And um, we have to have a doctrinal taxonomy of the human domain uh, to be able to figure out how to um, operate within that domain, both offensively and defensively and through collaboration. So it's, it's a very complex domain. We've got to do a lot more explore, exploration. All right, sir, I think that's uh, all the questions that we have about uh, Jada right now. Uh, we would like to close out with a little bit of uh, mentorship. Um, so what leadership nuggets do you have for us as uh, CGOs and NCOs? The real thing is study as much as you can. Um, learning is a never-ending process. We have um, you know, a number of uh, PhDs over at the college. You know, I've got one of those pieces of paper, and they call it a terminal degree. If you're calling yourself uh, terminal in terms of your knowledge, um, you failed. <laughs> So you always want to strive to learn. Uh, the other thing is you have to prepare for the future. We live in a very dynamic world. Um, you have to be prepared for that. I would also recommend that you study systems theory and a concept called constructivism. Systems theory is basically I look at problem sets the lens of a system and when I touch the system that that system's going to change and when it changes you should understand what those potential changes are going to be. The theory of constructivism had the lens of a political scientist which looks at constructivism through the um, through characterizing it in terms of identity and belief. Um, the actual concept um, that is grounded comes from a child developmental psychologist. And to, for an individual to learn as much as possible, if you change the structures in the environment, it will change, get a change in learning behavior. Well, if you just take that basic construct, if I have a system and I change the structures within the system, how is that gonna change the behavior um, of my allies? How is it going to change the behavior of my adversary? And you should plot that out. And uh, it is really probably the greatest void that we have in education, in any uh, professional military education institution. Um, it is the essence of everything that you want to do. The next thing is um, understand design. Um, design looks at, um, you know, our, by our doctrine, it's understand the environment, 
um, identify the problems, and then develop a, a design or a blueprint. Um, the way to think about the environment is through an observed system of how you think the system works and a desired system for how you want to change the system. And by um, looking at those two different contrasting elements, there's a tension in between. You know, here, here's how the system is working, functioning. Here's how I want to change it. You've got to assess things like um, the tension between what you want and your adversary wants uh, where you converge, where you diverge, uh, what barriers are in your way uh, to achieve the change in the observed system. After I've done that, I then can identify my problem sets because the system's going to change over time as I touch it. So I should figure out what my problem sets are and then I align my decisive points along those um, uh, problem sets. Those are your, in essence, your lines of operation. At the component level, they're lines of effort. Um, lines of effort, you know, slightly different. We teach very differently in terms of um, how we teach design. We, at the strategic level, it's strategic lines of engagement. You're aligning strategic imperatives, which are how you're emphasizing the national instruments of power. At the operational level, the doctrinal approach is aligning uh, decisive points along your lines of operation. At the component level, I'm pulling down the decisive points from the operational plan, putting that on, let's say, the CFACS lines of effort, and then I'm showing the CJTF commander what air power is doing to achieve that joint or multinational or alliance of some sort uh, decisive point. So those are ending up, uh, end up being tasks. And by, able to, uh, by being able to do that, you can convey pretty clearly a vision for approaching a very complex problem. We had an intro to design thinking in our SOS curriculum, and um, I said to one day, see it applied in the manners you were just speaking to. Oh yeah, you gotta invite me over. I mean, <laughs> just right next door. Uh, uh, I definitely appreciate that. that owed to like lifelong learning because uh, I feel like that can be kind of intimidating sometimes like uh, I remember uh, when I first joined and they talked about doctrine and I, I looked at AFD1 and I think back then it was a pretty pretty big document and a bunch of other doctrines were all pretty big documents but I didn't realize how much those have been curtailed down now to about 30 pages where they're pretty consumable by by everybody now so uh, I think moving into that as well as far as focusing on the lifelong learning uh, what three books uh, would you say have changed your life or you think like everybody across the board should should read these books? That is challenging. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, over my lifetime, I mean, you, you read hundreds, you know, if not thousands of books, you know, or parts of books. Um, there are a number of um, different books that's, that have had an effect on me. Um, Thucydides, uh, The Peloponnesian War is a classic. Um, Chamon Nave, um, In Pursuit of Military Excellence, which is about maneuver. It's a very thick reading book. It's not an easy book to read. And then uh, probably um, Bertolanffy, um, A General Theory in, in, um, in Systems. Um, and I'm paraphrasing the title there. 
Um, but it's actually about botany. Oh, really? And okay. It, and it, but embedded in there is the concept of um, systems. So you, you have a microsystem. It might be a plant. And then the macro system around that plant might be other elements within the field. And then the exosystem would be the atmosphere, rain, things of that nature. Uh, and it's learning to understand the connectivity between those systems so that you can orient at solving the root cause of the problem. Typically, we, we uh, only go one layer deep and we solve um, just the symptom. We've got to learn to identify the core problem and then be able to solve that. I feel like that has some uh, parts that are also applicable to Jado. Yeah, or not like yeah. multi-connectivity to try and like solve a problem set. It, it's exactly what it is, and it it's uh, built with um, mathematical formulas about photosynthesis and things like that. Okay. It's a very dry read. I would, <laughs> I hesitate to recommend it, but it is a a, a good conceptual reading, um, and you have to learn, you know, in terms of um, looking at education. Read things that you're not comfortable reading about. Mm -hmm. That's where true learning is. If you always go to history, we place too much emphasis on history. Uh, it's a known. So I already know what happened. There's a comfort feeling there. I can use some of the examples. But no two circumstances in history, no two environments, no two adversaries are exactly the same. So, you know, doing a miscue of thinking I'm going to solve the problem by replicating what's gone before may not be the smartest way to solve the problem. Uh, it's good to have lessons learned. It's good to understand that. It's good to use history for illustrations. But concept, concept, concept is where you've got to go. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Deciphering Doctrine podcast. This podcast is produced by the LeMay Center, mixed by Air University Public Affairs, and conducted by students at Squadron Officer School. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.